Welcome to this live stream. We got a lot to discuss today. We're going to start though talking about the big Williston Basin Petroleum Council conference. Seems to be happening in Bismarck for the next few days. Um, some very special guests, an exciting time and very important time for the energy industry when you look at what's been happening and what's going on right now with this current administration. So join us today. We got a very special guest from Continental Resources. He's the Senior VP of Governmental Relations and Regulatory Affairs. Blue Halsey. Blue, great to have you on Point of View. Uh, first off, just because this conference is so big and I think the timing could not be better, what does it mean to be back around live bodies and talking about the energy industry? Chris, I can't tell you how great it is to, to be in a room with uh, other oil and gas folks talking about um, our industry, being able to uh, shake somebody's hands and um, and uh, and then using hand sanitizer right after that still because because uh, we're still used to that uh, but it's fantastic you know we've had a it's been a, a challenging year for the oil and gas industry it's been a challenging year for all industries um, but uh, to be able to come out and really uh, uh, talk to people one on one have service companies talk to you have communities uh, you know uh, continental resources we're so involved in um, in all our communities we operate in we're also involved in the state. Um, I, we just spent a lot of time talking to Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford um, just about uh, the, the great things that are going on and really an opportunity just to, um, you know, take a deep breath and really, uh, really see where things are after, after a really challenging year. So if you don't mind, take us inside that conversation with the Lieutenant Governor, because one of the things I want, did want to ask you is, you know, what, what did North Dakota get done for your industry this past session? But what, what do you think we could be doing better to continue to support you? So. Take us inside that conversation. What did you guys discuss? You know, actually, he's talking really about possibilities. In the heart, I think uh, the lieutenant governor's a, uh, an economic development uh, in his heart, and he wants to see great things go on for North Dakota. Um, and how how do we bring energy? How do we take energy that we're what we know is uh, with the Bakken and move forward in, in many, many years? I, you know, uh, when we talk, I think it's important to talk about where we are in the Bakken because we talk, uh, you know, are we... Are we about to end? Are we we're not going to have oil and gas anymore? And that couldn't be further from the truth, Chris. We're uh, we're still excited about this play. We're still excited about oil and gas development. This country is going to need North Dakota oil for a long time. Uh, when you when you see what's uh, what's happening uh, with this administration and it's uh, what it's doing to our industry, and, and there's no question that it's, it's uh, coming after our industry, and they want to see the Biden administration wants to see less oil and gas produced uh, in this country. Um, you know. What, what does that mean for North Dakota? I'll tell you, North Dakota is going to be a strong, um, uh, a strong economy, a strong oil and gas producing state for a long, long time. Uh, we we feel that there's uh, still, you know, literally billions of more barrels to be produced here, um, and we're committed. And then really, that's that's the the heart of where the lieutenant governor is, is to really look at um, how how they can incentivize the programs. How can we look at um, what it, you know, and he's not just doing this for oil and gas. He's doing this for for coal and every other uh, industry in the state. Um, so it's, it was just great to have that conversation and really look at the possibilities of what uh, what's out there. So you bring up some very fascinating points. And hey, Chris, this is going to be a long term play. And I'm sure you've seen uh, the CEO of Shell Oil says he believes peak oil was 2019. What's your response to that? Yeah, we just don't see it like that way, Chris. I mean, we see the amount of oil and gas, and as this economy keeps moving, um, you know, you're, you're just now, we're, we're just now getting things loosened up from an economic perspective, um, getting the planes uh, moving, getting getting people moving throughout this country. Uh, we think you're going to see demand continue to continue to rise across uh, 
across the country and the world. Um, you know, one of the things that I think uh, when we talk about peak, uh, peak oil and not being able to uh, we, we forget about uh, you know literally the billions of people in this in this world that, that don't have access to, to clean water, clean energy, um, and and we've got to be able to provide and continue to provide um, energy to the to the world, and that's what this country's done. That's what North Dakota has been able to do is through the exploration of, of the Bakken. Uh, it's really revolutionized what we're able to do across across the world and, and provide uh, clean, abundant energy to. To the world, and I, I don't think we've hit people at all. Uh, thank you for your time, but I feel like I could talk to you now for, for a long, long time. So I want to want to be respectful of your time. We're kind of dive back into the auction, but I also love to the thing that's called the auction, not to as late as this colonial pipeline hack. And I'm just curious, do you have any inside information? Some people are saying it's dark side. It's just kind of a criminal group. Some are suggesting it's Russian, maybe a state actor. What what can you tell us? Yeah, I, I don't have anything uh, inside other than anyone else knows, but I've seen the same reports. And, and to me, it's very concerning that you've got um, hackers or Russian hackers that go after infrastructure. Uh, it really uh, shows the importance of what infrastructure will do for the, for this country. You and, and, and the North Dakotans understand that uh, with, with Dapple and what what's going on, uh, the need for, the, the need for um, uh, solid infrastructure, new infrastructure, um, what it does to, to the ability to get energy places and you've seen that with colonial you're going to see higher energy prices you're going to see people struggle to, to get uh, gas for their vehicles um, and and we really believe that the biden administration needs to go forward with a, a very aggressive a, a response uh, to these hackers uh, this is just one we know they're saying no we just wanted money uh, i don't believe that i, I don't believe that there's uh, there's not an additional threat out there i think those threats are going to continue to happen and we're going to have these uh these continue. We've, we've got to be uh, vigilant as a country, uh, as a defense department. Uh, these are issues that we're going to have to have to deal with. Blue, what would you like to see the administration do? And let me preface it this way. Last night, Newt Gingrich was on Hannity. He says, hey, we need to see this as an act of war. We need an adequate response. Do you concur with Newt on that? Or what would you like to see the administration do? You know, I'm not sure about act of war, but I will tell you, uh, it would sure uh, be nice for this uh this administration to go after aggressively after this to make statements that this will not be um, this will not be tolerated to look at sanctions on Russia uh, if that's where they're located wherever um, we've got to make sure that, that wherever these uh, these terrorists is really what they are cyber terrorism um, are, are dealt with uh, like they are terrorists not just like they oh these are these they I, I've heard they give money to charity um, I think that's just a, um, that's excuse that's that's craziness we need to go after them just as we would go after any other terrorists and, and sanction the countries that they're located in um, with a uh, with an aggressive response uh, that, that, that um, is in accordance with their actions. You know, but one of the things we've been talking a lot about on the show lately is really being active, right? No matter what your point of view is on whatever it is, but obviously the Bakken, very important to tax revenue here, jobs, our economy. And you mentioned earlier the Biden administration wants to see less oil, not more freedom around fossil fuel production. So for the person watching, what, what can we be doing to help support our economy here? I mean, the thing that I get so upset about when you talk about higher gas prices, that look, that's a inflationary tax on the poorest people on the planet, right? And it just doesn't compute for me. So we want to continue to have cheap energy, great economy. What can the person at home be doing to make an impact? 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, that's, and you've seen uh, energy prices up. I saw nearly 80% or 80 cents per gallon since Biden took, took office. I think that's exactly right. I think people have to, um, they have to be active. Um, you know, you have some of the best uh, senators and representatives in the country uh, representing you in Washington right now. Uh, Congressman Armstrong, uh, Senator Kraber, Senator Hoven, they, they really are doing a fantastic job representing um, our, our industry, representing your state. And, and I think the support of uh, what they're doing, letting them know um, what that, uh, that that we need to continue to support uh, the, the oil and gas industry, free markets. They're so uh, they're they're all of them are extremely free market uh, focused. So uh, it, it, so it goes from that to uh, your local councilman to um, your state representative or across the board. Uh, free markets, what what uh, agriculture, what energy does for your state. It, it's part of it. It's the you know if there's ever a, uh, if there's ever a state that. Um, that personifies what we as Americans can do. Uh, we think North Dakota is it. I mean, you've got energy and agriculture that partner. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful state, and, and we have. To, this is an example of what our country should be, not uh, uh, not something to change. So, uh, and 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 that doesn't. Uh, when I say also, you, you've got wonderful congressmen. You've also got to get that message out to others um, that that are have been supportive and, and understand. You may not be their constituents, but they still need to hear your message. You kind of read my mind, and I know you're in governmental affairs, so if you want to plead the fifth of us, that, plead the fifth of us, that's great. But I guess one of the questions is, should our community be more actively communicating maybe with our AGs office and saying, hey, you need to file this suit or do something to you know, fight back against the administration? Or should should your organization and or, I mean, the oil industry be creating some kind of defense fund to help support legal action against this administration? What, what are your ideas there? Yeah, Chris, hundred uh, percent. I mean, we're we're going to have to uh, when we believe that actions are be ta are, are taken that uh, aren't in accordance with the, the rules and regulations as they currently exist. Uh, we're absolutely going to take these uh, uh, these regulatory agencies to court, um, and uh, and absolutely. And I'll tell you, uh, the AG uh, Stengem has been very supportive of our industry, and and. Uh, uh, absolutely supporting him and, and urging him. Um, most of those actions I know he's already taken, but act, uh, but it never hurts to, to hear from constituents when you make a decision and back up those decisions that you're making. It gives you uh, it gives you courage, additional courage. So uh, voices is uh, it, it's it, it's something that's definitely needed, and all of all of your viewers definitely needs it. If they they feel something, they hear something. They definitely need to communicate with the legislators, even if it's a decision they've already made. Hey, that's a great deal. Um, that definitely makes a difference. You know what? Thank you for saying that. I think when you can even pat them on the back, they never get that, but it helps them feel like, okay, I'm doing the right thing here. Um, sir, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I hope we can have you back in maybe a more consistent fashion. But just give you the last word. Anything else you want to add or share? No, I, I, you know what, Chris, uh, I, I just want to um, th thank your viewers for giving us a little time. Uh, thank you for, uh, thank North Dakota for hosting this great event. Uh, you know, uh, the industry is glad to be here. Uh, we're going to be here for a long time. And we just really, uh, um, really appreciate your, your legislature, you know, your governor, um, the, the, whole, uh, the whole body has done a really good job this year and a really tough year. Um, so we're, we're excited to be here. We're excited to, you know, maybe have a beer with a, a buddy we haven't seen in a while. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll get to do that tonight and, uh, enjoy our time at Bismarck. 
You can even do it in North Dakota with no mask on. I, think. I know, I know. I'm excited about it. <laughs> so here we are talking about this great Williston Basin Petroleum Conference. It's taking place tomorrow and Thursday. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is going to be there on Thursday. It's a phenomenal event. Harold Hamm, CEO of Continental Resources there. Blue obviously is there. Thanks for the time. Blue, Kelsey Warren. So uh, go check it out. You can join virtually if you can't be there uh, tomorrow or Thursday in Blue. Enjoy the time. I hope I'm going to be out there Thursday, so hopefully I'll see you live. Okay. That sounds great, Chris. Looking forward to it. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. You bet. Uh, all right, we got a lot more to talk about here on this show right now. This live stream. We'll let uh, Blue do his thing. So Blue will let you, uh, however you want to do that. But there's so much to discuss. I want to get to some of your comments in the conversation we just had there uh, with Blue. Halsey, he's the Senior VP of Government Affairs and Regulatory Affairs at Continental Resources, but also uh, I had an interview with Mike Lindell yesterday. YouTube flagged me, so I want to share with you more about that, what happened there. Um, and then, of course, I'm sure many of you saw Tucker Carlson's monologue last night in regards to where did COVID come from? Did it come from bats? Did it come from a lab? We don't know, and yet we've had this now for well over a year, we've lost 3 million lives, uh, millions and millions, billions and billions, maybe trillions of dollars. If you were going to look at how much money we lost uh, ultimately with the stock markets. I mean, a lot of lives, a lot of treasure. We're going to dive into some of that and then, and then extrapolate out into why this could impact even the heartland right here in America. So let's start first with your comments that were coming in uh, in regards to our conversation. Um we enjoy seeing you. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah, anytime. You betcha. Uh, of course, the AG would be. Uh, he owns a bank. Happy Tuesday. Uh, where is Harold Ham? He's there. So Harold Ham is there. Uh, Mike Pompeo invested in the Coke industry. Speaking about Secretary Pompeo, I'm going to get a chance to uh, interview him on Thursday. We are hoping to live stream that. I think it's going to be around 1030 a.m., so be sure and join us for that. Very important conversation. You'll find out more about why in a moment. Uh, Kate says this about Hunter. Hunter, um, Brianna says, I, I don't know if it's a he or a she, but you might be there um, on Thursday. All right, now let's jump into this conversation here with you two. Let me get rid of this comment, then we can share with you the whole picture. So I, I get up this morning. I had an interview with my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell, yesterday. We talked a little bit about the vaccine, which we're going to talk more about here in a moment. Uh, we talked about possible treatments, if you will, drop the word prophylactic possibly, and then YouTube flags the content. And they said it violated the COVID medical misinformation. So they flagged me now where I can't live stream or post for a week. This is what they're suggesting was we discussed either treatment, prevention, diagnosis, transmission, and you can see here it's limited to content that contradicts the WHO, World Health Organization, or local health authorities' guidance on social distancing. So it, it may have been because Mike said, hey, masks don't work. Um, they don't really give you the specifics on what it is. They just say in sort of generalities as to why they end up uh, flagging your stuff. Thank you, Amanda. YouTube and Facebook are getting horrible. And, and to be fair to Facebook, Facebook actually kept my interview up with Mike Lindell. So I don't know what in the world is going on there, but YouTube flagged me and <laughs> you can see why. All right. I want to get into this piece here. This is such an important piece. And again, if you saw Tucker Carlson's intro last night, his monologue, you'll have a little bit of context with this. But so 
Nicholas Wade is a longtime, 20 years, he wrote for the New York Times, um, Science Magazine, and he dove into what is the origin of COVID. Now, to be very specific and very clear, he says, look, there's not enough evidence to make a decision either way, whether it came from uh, a natural setting, meaning a bat, and then it just naturally went to humans, or if it was derived from a lab, and <clears throat> happen that way. You can read the piece. It's fairly long, but I do want to share with you an interesting dialogue between Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci that took place earlier today. But I think the main thing is this, that you want to ask yourself is, how do we not know? It's been over a year. We've lost 3 million lives. We've lost an unbelievable amount of treasure. How can there not be a very serious investigation to discover, to get to the root of the origin of this virus? If you look at MERS, we figured that out, you know, fairly quickly. SARS-1 figured that out fairly quickly. This one seems to take longer than normal. Why is that? Well, it could be because there's other people um, that may be implicated. Now, I'm not saying that. That is what this piece suggests, because again, they say, look, we don't know for certain where it came from. There's not enough definitive evidence. Now, part of the reason there's not enough definitive evidence, because a person out of the University of North Carolina that actually worked with a woman by the last name of Xi, she's also known as the Bat Lady, or excuse me, Xi Zheng Li, or Bat Lady, was working with a guy by the name of Ralph Barrick. He's a coronavirus researcher at the University of North Carolina. Well, what's interesting now is that Bat Lady's documents, they're all sealed. We can't see the Bat Lady's documents. So we really have no idea. It suggested that she was working on coronaviruses that would go from bats to humans, but we can't actually dive into her documents. Thus, we cannot give you a definitive answer on, hey, what was the origin of this coronavirus? Obviously, that might be kind of important. But I will share this with you, and this is what I'm going to get to in a moment. She did go back to the, the Institute of Virology lab. She started working on genetically engineering coronaviruses to attack human cells. And then he asked in his piece, how can we be so sure? Because a very strange twist took place in the story, he says. Wait till you hear this. Her work in the Wuhan lab was partially funded by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. In other words, with your tax dollars, American money, also part of the U.S. National Institute of Health, the NIH. These are grant proposals that funded her work according to this document. Now, the grants were assigned to a contractor named Peter Dozik from the EcoHealth Alliance. He subcontracted to she this badly. Now, to be fair, I do want to share with you, Peter Dozik was on Twitter today, just to give you both sides of this conversation. He says here in his Twitter feed. Now, keep in mind, this gentleman also was the only like, real American, if you will, with the World Health Organization that did the inspection to, to try and find out the origins of the coronavirus. We never really got any clarity from the WHO. But this guy says, hey, excellent thread debunking another line of argument in Wade's. That's the author of this piece I just shared with you. Disingenuous and wild, wildly erroneous piece. I do want to scroll down a little bit because he goes on to say, at NIH response to another reporter today confirming they did not fund gain-of-function work via EcoHealth grant at the Wuhan 
virology lab. This is the correct protocol. NIH decides if a grant contains gain of function work. Ours did not. So he says that, but it's not necessarily completely accurate because as this person says, the response confirms only it is impossible for us to be aware of all their activities. And I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, folks, but I just am trying to do both sides of this conversation for you because, again, there's not a definitive answer, but I think it's an important conversation for us to look at. Now, with all that being said, I do want to play for you a clip here. This is Senator Rand Paul. Earlier today, there was a hearing, a Senate hearing that took place, and he had a chance to question Dr. Fauci. So I'm going to unshare this for a moment and then go back and share this conversation between uh, Senator Paul and Dr. Fauci. This is a little bit longer clip, but I wanted to play all this for you because I think that it's a important exchange and then you can come to your own conclusions based on this. Then when I'm done with this, I wanna share with you what's also happening in Manhattan, Kansas. Very important when you think about the lab in Wuhan, uh, what's taking place there potentially, okay, potentially, and then what is happening in Manhattan, Kansas. Again, not good, bad, right, or wrong. Just trying to give you all the story. Here's the exchange between uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. or Senator Rand Paul. Okay, we'll let you respond. Excuse me? You're, I will allow you to respond to that and then we'll move on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say, I don't know how many times I... Like, Dr. Fauci, we don't know whether the pandemic started in a lab in Wuhan or evolved naturally, but we should want to know. Three million people have died from this pandemic, and that should cause us to explore all possibilities. Instead, government authorities, self-interested in continuing gain-of-function research, say there's nothing to see here. Gain-of-function research, as you know, is juicing up naturally occurring animal viruses to infect humans. To arrive at the truth, the U.S. government should admit that the Wuhan Virology Institute was experimenting to enhance the coronavirus's ability to infect humans. Juicing up super viruses is not new. Scientists in the U.S. have long known how to mutate animal viruses to infect humans. For years, Dr. Ralph Barrick, a virologist in the U.S., has been collaborating with Dr. Shi Zengli. So that Dr. Barrick is the person I just mentioned from the University of North Carolina. So just to kind of give you some context of some of the names you're going to hear here, Shi Zheng Li is the one that we just talked about a moment ago that is also referred to as Bat Lady over in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Of the Wuhan Virology Institute, sharing his discoveries about how to create super viruses. This gain-of-function research has been funded by the NIH. The collaboration between the U.S., and the Wuhan Virology Institute continues. Doctors Barrick and Xi worked together to insert bat virus spike protein into the backbone of the deadly SARS virus, and then used this man-made supervirus to infect human airway cells. Think about that for a moment. The SARS virus had a 15% mortality. We're fighting a pandemic that has about a 1% mortality. Can you imagine? If a SARS virus that's been juiced up and had viral proteins added to it, to the spike protein, if that were released accidentally. Dr. Fauci, do you still support funding of the NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan? Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are enti entirely and completely incorrect. 
that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute. Do they fund Dr. Barrett? We do not fund gain-of-function research. Dr. Barrett does not do gain-of-function research, and if it is, it's according to the guidelines, and it's being conducted in North Carolina. Now think concerning a bad virus spike protein that he got from the Wuhan Institute into the SARS virus is gain of function. That is not a minority because at least 200 scientists have signed a statement from the Cambridge Working yeah. Group saying that it is gain of function. Well, it is not. And if you look at the grant and you look at the uh, progress reports, it is not gain of function, despite the fact that people tweet that. So they do you still support it? sending money to the Wuhan Virology Institute? We do not send money now to the to Wuhan uh, do Virology Institute. you support Institute. sending money? We did, under your tutelage. We were sending it through EcoHealth. It was a sub-agency right. and a sub-grant. Do you support the money from NIH that was going to the Wuhan Institute? Let me explain to you why that was done. The SARS-CoV-1 originated in bats in China. It would have been irresponsible of us if we did not investigate the bat viruses and the serology to see who might have been or, infected. Or perhaps it would be irresponsible to send it to the Chinese government that we may not be able to trust with this uh, knowledge and with this uh, incredibly dangerous viruses. Government scientists like yourself who favor gain of function research. I don't favor gain of function research in China. You are saying naturally. things that are not correct. Government defenders of gain of function, such as yourself, say that COVID-19 uh, mutations were random and not designed by man. But interestingly, the technique that Dr. Barrick developed forces mutations by serial passage through cell culture that the mutations appear to be natural. In fact, Dr. Barrick named the technique the noceum technique because the mutations appear naturally. Nicholas Baker in the New York Magazine said nobody would know if the virus had been fabricated in a laboratory or grown in nature. Government authorities in the U.S., including yourself, unequivocally deny that COVID-19 could have escaped a lab. But even Dr. Xi in Wuhan wasn't so sure. According to Nicholas Baker, Dr. Xi wondered, could this new virus have come from her own laboratory? She checked her records frantically and found no matches. That really took a load off my mind, she said. I had not slept for days. The director of the gain-of-function research in Wuhan couldn't sleep because she was terrified that it might be in her lab. Dr. Barrick, an advocate of gain-of-function research, admits the main problem that the Institute of Virology has is the outbreak occurred in close proximity. What are the odds? Barrick responded, could you rule out a laboratory escape? The answer in this case is probably not. Will you, in front of this group, categorically say that the COVID-19 could not have occurred through serial passage in a laboratory? I do not have any accounting of what the Chinese may have done, and I'm fully in favor of any further investigation of what went on in China. However, I will repeat again, the NIH and NIAID categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You support it in the U.S. We have 11 labs doing it, and you have allowed it here. We have a committee to do 
I'm going to continue playing this. There's just a little bit left. But here are what he just said there, folks. Yeah, he's fully in favor of an investigation as to what happened in China. So why don't we have one? That's the point of the top that I said of this segment is like, look, we've lost three million lives. Unbelievable amount of treasure. And, and think about this. Our State Department went to Alaska to go sit down with a Chinese delegation and did not even mention, did not even mention COVID. Didn't even come up. Yes, they talked about Uyghurs, human rights, but not a word about COVID. How can you sit down with a Chinese delegation, whether you think it came from a bat or it came from the lab and not even mention COVID to a Chinese delegation via our State Department. It is stunning to me. I'm going to play a little bit more of this, and then we're going to get into what many of you are talking about in regards to what's happening in Manhattan, Kansas, because I'm going to share with you a piece I just found that's got some pretty stunning quotes of what's happening there uh, in Manhattan, Kansas. Do it, but the committee has granted every exemption. You're, you're fooling with Mother Nature here. You're allowing super viruses to be created with a 15% mortality. It's very dangerous. I think it was a huge mistake to share this with China, and it's a huge mistake to allow this to continue in the United States. And we should be very careful to investigate where this virus came from. I fully agree that you should investigate where the virus came from. But again, we have not funded gain-of-function research on this virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, no matter you're how words you're parsing you say words, it, there was research. Happen. There was research done with Dr. Xi and Dr. Barrett. They have collaborated on gain of function research where they enhanced the SARS virus to infect human airway cells, and they did it by merging a new spike protein on it. That is gain of function. That was joint research between the Wuhan Institute and Dr. Barrett. You can't deny it. Senator Paul, your time time is expired. Okay, so I think fascinating conversation there. I want to go to a comment here from Vicky, and then I'm going to share something with you in just a moment. So Vicky says, Brianna, unapologetic Christian, I saw this on Tori today. Tori says, show, this is absolute madness, and my family lives within a few miles from the Kansas. <laughs> my niece went to school on this campus and worked in the current labs they have at the school. I can see why she quit the program there now. She was very gifted and was accepted into all the programs at age 16. It would affect all of us if something happen. So I want to uh, share this with you because I just found this today and I think it is a very interesting article. And I'm going to share some excerpts with you here. If you're not aware, and I may even play some video, um, some things that Tori has put together in the past, but here's an article called Hot Zone in the Heartland. This is about a national bio and agro-defense facility going into Manhattan, Kansas, in the middle of cattle, in the middle of the prairies in the middle of food production. And so what I want to share with you is some excerpts out of this. And you can see sort of the subtitle is United States struggles with the coronavirus pandemic, a years long debate over the new national bio and agro-defense facility to be located smack in the middle of Kansas cattle country. So let me share with you just a little bit from this article, folks. If you want to read it yourself, I would encourage you to do so. But here's one excerpt from it. So if you're not familiar with what's happening here, this is a level four bio lab that's being moved essentially from Plum Island outside of New York to Manhattan, Kansas. Now, this is from this article I'm quoting. Plum Island safety measures and isolated location are meant to prevent the diseases studied there from escaping and affecting American herds. Stopping the spread of foot and mouth disease is particularly difficult. 
It's capable of traveling on a trouser leg or a mud splash tire. After an outbreak in 2001, British farmers were forced to kill some 6 million sheep, cattle, and pigs, burying their carcasses in mass graves or burning them in pyres. If the disease were found among American cattle, the beef industry worth about 6 to $8 billion annually would immediately shut down. Again, they're going to do what they do to protect these areas. The reason I want to share this excerpt with you is because it says there's the possibility that it can travel on a trouser leg or a mud splash tire. Now, obviously, they're going to have very difficult ways. You've got to get into the, these labs and they're going to make it so you've got to take all your stuff off and you've got to shower. I get all that. I'm not saying there's not going to be protections. I'm just saying that it somewhat at certain times can be easily transferable. Another excerpt from this piece, Hot Zone in the Heartland. If you're just joining us, thanks so much for joining us. But I do want to share with you a little bit more uh, from an excerpt from this piece. And you can obviously Google it and read it yourself. Again, I quote, during and after the NBAF site selection, National Bio and Agro-Defense Facility process, many scientists found it baffling that anyone would consider installing a high containment animal disease laboratory in the middle of livestock country. I'm quoting here, it doesn't make sense. It's just insane. Laura H. Kahn, a physician and researcher scholar at Princeton University's program, on science and global security. Abigail Conrad, who was a development biologist at K-State when the Department of Homeland Security was making its choice, said that the decision defies reason, quote unquote. Her husband, Gary, also a biologist, called it, quote unquote, beyond ludicrous, almost criminal and genuinely stupid. So those are a couple different perspectives of people that are suggesting or asking, why? Why are we taking a level four bio lab a national bio and agro-defense facility and putting it smack in the middle of Kansas cattle country. Well, if you do your homework on this, and I would suggest you read this article, you'll know why. Because a former U.S. senator, very big on the Ag Committee, out of Kansas, wanted it there for economic development. He was suggesting, hey, this will be a phenomenal economic development project and program for Kansas. He wanted to actually lead the world, lead the nation when it came to, I guess, bioweapons research, right? Bio, bio research to ensure that we are keeping our food safe and secure. The question is if there's a possible leak. And that was one of the beauties of Plum Island is that it was situated in a way that if there was a possible leak, because it was on an island, you, you mitigated at least the possibility of some of these for example, foot and mouth disease, some of these things leaking and causing problems within the mainland, within the mainland. <laughs> well, every single bio lab has a leak, every single one. And if you go back to what I just showed, showed you here on the original of COVID, and you talk about even the Wuhan lab, this article goes in and talks about some of the leaks that have happened when it came to SARS. Uh, I think it was MERS. There was other ones that, that, you know, it has taken place on. So do your homework on this. We're going to talk more about it tonight on the show. I do want to share this with you as well, because 
this ties in obviously to COVID, but also within this hearing today that I just showed you with, with Dr. Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci, they also had a person that testified in regards to the new vaccine for 12 to 15 year olds. So I want to share with you what this person said today in testimony in regards to the trials that were done. You can hear what this person has to say, and then you tell me if you would feel comfortable after what this person suggests, giving the COVID-19 vaccine to your 12 and or up to 15 year old. Uh, let me stop sharing the screen. If my computer will come back to work, give me just a moment here. Come on, computer. Did I freeze up everybody? There we go. All right. Okay, let me grab this for you. And just give me a moment, please. Here it is. Here's the audio. And this is Dr. Uh, I think Dr. Peter Marks, the director for Center of Biological Evaluation and Research. Um, here he is talking about the trials done in regards to the COVID-19 vaccine for 12 to 15 year olds. Chair Murray, Ranking Member Burr, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to testify before you again to describe FDA's continued COVID-19 response efforts, and particularly our efforts on vaccines. First, yesterday evening, the FDA announced the expansion of the emergency use authorization for the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine to include adolescents down to age 12 years. We know that this is a big step for our country as vaccinating a younger population can bring us closer to a sense of normalcy and to ending this pandemic. To look at the safety of the vaccine, the FDA evaluated a clinical trial of more than 2,000 adolescents aged 12 through 15. Half of the participants received the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and half received the saline placebo. The side effects experienced by those aged 12 through 15 were similar to those experienced by individuals aged 16 and older. To look at effectiveness, the FDA evaluated data about how participants' immune systems responded to the vaccine, comparing 190 individuals aged 12 through 15 to 170 aged 16 through 25. The FDA also evaluated data on cases of COVID-19 among adolescents aged 12 through 15 uh, seven days after the second dose of vaccine was given, and no cases of COVID-19 occurred among 1,005 adolescents who received the vaccine compared to 16 cases uh, in 978 placebo recipients, thus indicating uh, the vaccine was completely effective um, in preventing COVID-19 uh, in the trial uh, that was symptomatic. Uh, parents? I will come back to Dr. Marks, but 2,000 adolescents used in this trial. I'm just curious if you think that is enough for you to say yes to vaccinate your adolescent child. We've seen some of the issues even with the adults, blood clots, things of that nature. So they went and they did trials for an FDA emergency approval on 2,000 adolescents. Is that enough for you to say, oh, okay, I'm good and guardians can rest assured that the agency undertook a rigorous and thorough review of all available scientific data as we have with all of our COVID-19 vaccine authorizations and the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices will next review the data tomorrow. Also, we, as we announced yesterday, 
We intend to convene a virtual meeting of the Vaccines and Related Biological Advisory Committee on June 10th, 2021, during which we'll provide a status update on our approach to emergency use authorization in individuals uh, age 12 through 17 years of age. And we'll also discuss the data needed to support an emergency use authorization and a biologics license application in children less than age 12. Second, now they're going for the emergency authorization for kids less than age 12. I wish I had the data at my fingertips. If some of you have it, please let me know. But what's the, the, the contagion rate with kids 12 and under? What's the death rate in kids 12 and under? I haven't seen any research or data to show me that, hey, young people are super spreaders. If you've got that information, please share it with me. But I have not seen that. Why are we going to go through a, a, an a, a FDA emergency approval on a vaccine when young people don't seem to be the cause of the spread and they definitely don't have a high death rate. Uh, as COVID-19 vaccination expands into adolescence, we continue to work diligently with CDC and other partners on safety surveillance of the authorized vaccines. We're grateful to Congress for the American Rescue Plan funds, which are supporting expanded vaccine safety surveillance among other critical priorities. We've seen that our safety surveillance systems are doing what they're supposed to do in detecting important adverse events. Recently, our surveillance systems detected a safety signal for rare blood clots and low blood platelets known as thrombosis thrombocytopenia syndrome with the Janssen or Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. Following a brief pause taken to evaluate the situation and educate providers, based on the rare but increased risk of this adverse event, mainly in women age, 12, uh, age 18 through 50 years of age, FDA modified the fact sheet for healthcare providers to include a warning pertaining to the risk of thrombosis with thrombocytopenia and the fact sheets for recipients and caregivers was also updated. We'll continue to diligently monitor the safety of all of these vaccines. Third, the CDC and FDA are working closely together to track the emergence and the spread of COVID-19 variants. Currently available evidence suggests that the three available FDA authorized vaccines adequately address COVID-19 variants circulating in the United States. However, we're working with manufacturers and government partners uh, to plan the composition of the vaccine so that we can administer booster vaccinations if necessary of an appropriate composition. Fourth, the FDA recently completed an inspection of Emergent Biosolutions, a proposed manufacturing facility for the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine. At the close of the inspection of Emergent Biosolutions, FDA investigators cited several observations concerning whether the facility's practices met our regulatory requirements and standards. We're now working with Emergent Biosolutions to address the conditions identified. It's been made public that no product has been released from this facility. So you get the point, folks. I think the, the the objective that I want us to communicate here is the fact that, and Amanda, thank you. You you had some math here real quick that I want to bring up. 266 kids in 2020 supposedly uh, passed away of COVID. One is too many. We understand that. But then when you do the math, they're based on what Amanda's doing. 266, there's 6,300 students in the Bismarck Public School System alone. I think there's 120,000 in North Dakota. You go out across the, the country, I and mean, that is a lot of students and she's saying 266, again, one too many, but when you take 266 by all the students in this in this country, and we're gonna get an emergency authorization via the FDA? Now, one thing, man, I'd like to know is, 
how many kids are spreading it to older people? Again, I don't have that data at my fingertips. I have not seen enough research or data to show that kids are super spreaders. They might be, so I don't want to get ahead of my skis, but I have not seen that data. If you've got it, please show me. But assuming the data that I've seen is accurate, it shows that kids are not super spreaders. Why are we doing an emergency authorization on this vaccine for kids that are 12 to 15? Now he's talking about 12 and younger. Many of you, I think, have some answers to that, but I just want us all to consider, what are we doing? What are we doing? Um, as always, COVID vaccine does not stop the transmission of COVID. That's the other piece is that you've got people out there suggesting that hey, even if you get vaccinated, um, it may protect you from getting it, but it doesn't necessarily stop you from spreading it. So Amanda says, I haven't seen that data either in regards to are they super spreaders or not? No need to have children get the shot. My opinion As always um, all points of view welcome here as we do these live streams. But I think it's fun for you and I as a point of view community to dive into some of this information, especially in the long form place. We can play that entire conversation between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci. We can dive into again, please. Why is there not a very serious investigation going on as to what's the origin of COVID? We've lost 3 million people. We are told to follow the science. Let's go follow this investigation to figure out what the science is going to show us. Did this thing come naturally from a bat or was it leaked from a lab? We don't know. We don't have conclusive evidence at this point, but we should have that after what? It's May, 15 months, 17 months. The reason why is to add it to the childhood schedule so they get liability protection for ever. Jennifer, thanks so much. All of you, thank you so much for the comments. You all have just got incredible insight as to what's going on. That's why I always enjoy bringing up some topics, posing some questions, and you always seem to have uh, better answers than I do oftentimes. So we both get to sit here and learn and grow and come up with some solutions and make a difference together. I think that's the biggest thing right now is if you can, please share this video with people. Let them know what's going on to help see things from a different perspective, because I think it's so critical right now you and I both know this. You go out in the world and you talk to people and you've got these masks on and you've had people that have been sick and maybe not recovering fully. There's just a lot of fear and a lot of trepidation out there because of this situation, let alone the mental health challenges that we have because of the economic situation that some people are in. So this is an opportunity for you and I to come together, uh, help educate ourselves, empower ourselves, and then ideally go out there and actually begin to plant some seeds of hope, some faith, some love and some truth, because I think people can really use some of those seeds right now, and ultimately it will bear some fruit. All right, be sure and join us tonight on Point of View. Thanks so much for joining us here. You can join us 6.30 p.m. on KX4. If you're out in Western North Dakota, it's on West Dakota Fox, 6.30 p.m. as well. Please let your friends and family know. And uh, yes, always a great show to watch. That's what's up. Thank you so much for that. Keep up the great work, everybody. If you have other topics out there or uh, videos or things that you think we need to be talking about here on these live streams or on point of view, please hit me up on Facebook, email me, whatever's easiest for you. We will do our best. Uh, thank you, Mr. Coachman. It's always great to hear from you as well. So thank you for saying that. We appreciate it. Um, oh, and another good show, American Gods. All right. Thank you. We'll check that out as well. So if you've got other topics you think we need to be talking about here uh, locally, nationally, globally, um, Thank you. Please send me those videos. I would look forward to seeing them. And as always, I love you. Thanks so much for being part of our community here. And we're going to continue to keep fighting for the truth. 
God bless you. God bless your families. And of course, God bless the United States of America.